But then when we talk about comparisons, and this is rhetorical now, who do you like to be compared to? And then the flip side of that is, who do you not like to be compared to? My guess would be, I like to be compared to people I'm better than, and when I'm compared to people who are excellent, well then, I I don't really like that quite as much. And when you do compare yourselves to others, how does that affect your understanding of your value, your worth? A lot of questions I'm starting with, I know, but um, let me ask at least one more to just get us thinking. Last week, Pastor Lucas uh, began in chapter 3 to introduce us to the themes, and he talked about, especially in that, how sometimes Christian leaders... Pastors of churches can be elevated on on pedestals that they haven't deserved or that they often quickly fall from. So one more question. How would one know if they're a good church leader? Is it the number of converts that they see? Their pay? How big their congregation is? Well, from the start of our work through the book of 1 Corinthians, we've been dealing, uh, that we've been walking through, one of the things that we've highlighted is that danger that happens when you bring the values and priorities of the world into the setting of the church, and how that can quickly cause all kinds of problems when you try to make the church look like the world in terms of what is success what is popular, what is good. And that's going to be highlighted once again in our text. So we've known, as we've been walking through this all the way back in chapter 1, that there's conflict in the Corinthian church because they're divided over what apostles they follow. Some say, I'm a follower of Paulus, some say, I'm a follower of Paul, some of Cephas, others just of Christ. And and Paul has been addressing this issue and building toward kind of bringing this to a culmination in chapter 4. And whenever there is comparison, you know, well, I follow Apollos, I follow Cephas, Cephas, or it's Peter, then there's often competition. So it's not just my guy is a guy I really like, but I have to also compare and degrade your guy. Well, why do you follow him? He's not nearly as good. And so while Paul was being elevated by some, it seems pretty clear that he was also kind of getting knocked by many others, criticized and dismissed. And we got hints of that last week in chapter 3. For those of you who are here or those who have studied this before, when you look at what was talked about in chapter 3, what do you think might have been some of the criticisms that Paul was facing from the Corinthian church? The analogies that Pastor Lucas walked us through last week. What did he say about himself? Okay, so that's the criticism. Uh, He wasn't an eloquent speaker. He's hinted at this before, and and I think that is under and behind some of the criticism or or some of the comments in chapter 3. You just fed us with milk. And he says, yes, you were infants. 
I laid the foundation. I wasn't trying to build the whole Oedipus. I was just trying to lay the foundation. And so he's not a great speaker. He's pretty simplistic in his messages. He's repetitive. We heard him say, I've said nothing but Christ and him crucified. And, and so that's some of the criticisms, and that gets confirmed in 2 Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians 10.10, 10, he acknowledges, you know, I hear what you're saying about me. He says, for they say, his letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech is of no account. So that's what they're saying about Paul. Yeah, he writes these great letters. You come off real strong in those things, but when you're here, you're not a great speaker. You don't get much attention and and you're kind of weak. And yes, when compared to the great orators of the day, those that would travel around, Paul didn't add up. So again, rhetorically, getting us thinking, when you get criticized in your work, in your roles, how do you respond to that criticism? Again, that's a rhetorical question. But we're going to see how Paul responds. And the response is found right away in verse 1 of chapter 4. Uh, This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Uh, So first of all, uh, who's the us? So not just the Corinthians, but... Yeah, he is including himself. So who's, who's the group he's talking about? Church leaders, believers, the apostles. And he's kind of saying, hey, we're all together once again, as he's been trying to emphasize. This is not me, this is us. And he'll even later say, you know, I, I judge both myself and Apollos on this. We're, we're together in this. And as Christian leaders, um, he says, we are servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. And that steward is, is a technical term. Um, it's an occupation. So what was a steward? What did they do? They took care of households. The term might be like a butler or, you know, the, the person that was put in charge. We see this Joseph in Potiphar's house. He was his steward. Take care of things. And so what's the, the function of a steward or, or what is their main job? Yeah, watch over the house and do whatever the boss tells you to do. This is their possessions, their house, so I'm here to take care of it, and I'm just supposed to do whatever they tell me to do. So how is that an uh, an answer to the criticism that Paul's been getting? Who's his boss? God, Christ. I'm a servant of Christ, a steward of the mysteries of God, the gospel, And so God is my boss, which means who's not his boss? The Corinthians. And he continues with that as we get through verses 3 through 7. There's a repeated word that makes it pretty clear what the topic is in those verses. And what's the topic that comes out in verses 3 through 7? Judgment. Judging. Comparing. Evaluating. 
And in that, how concerned is Paul with the judgment of the Corinthians to his work? Yeah, I'm seeking head shake. Not at all. I'm not worried what you think about me. Because again, I'm not here to serve you necessarily. But why? It's because God is his judge. He is the only one that Paul is worried about. And that's in four, uh, verse 4b. Now let me pause very quickly because I think I have to acknowledge this fact. There are those that take Paul's positive claim here. I'm a servant of God, not to be judged by you. And they have warped that and used that in an abusive manner. There have been pastors of churches when facing legitimate criticism have said, well, who do you think you are to question the pastor? I have a special relationship with God. I'm here to please him, not you. So if you don't like the way I'm doing things in this church, go find somewhere else because I'm not here to keep you happy. That's not Paul's attitude, and I want to make that abundantly clear. And if you ever encounter a pastor who has that attitude, run. Um, that is not a servant of the church of Christ. And I say that in sincerity because that it has been in a form of abuse that pops up far too often in the church. But in light of that, what Paul truly is saying is, yes, I'm here to, to, to work with you, but in the end, I'm not here to just make you happy, especially if I'm going to be judged by the standards of the world. I'm here to do what God has sent me to do, which is to lay the foundation, to feed baby infants uh, in, the, in the gospel milk so that they can start to grow. And that scene it carried on in, in verses 6 to 7. A key phrase in verse 6 is, learn by us not to go beyond what is written. Scripture is the judge. Scripture is the guide. Scripture is where his work is and ought to be evaluated, not go beyond that to incorporate these worldly ideas. And then in verse 7, he incorporates as a criticism three rhetorical questions himself. For who sees anything different in you? You know, what makes you exceptionally special? And the answer to that is, is no one. What do you have that you did not receive? And the obvious implied answer is nothing. All that they have is by God's grace. The gifts they're exercising, the riches that they enjoy, all of it is from God's hand. And so he says, if you've received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? And there's no good reason, again, is the implied answer. In, that, in short... In judgment, it's a call to humility rather than pride. Which leads us into the next section in verses 8 through 13. Paul's tone changes. And he gets critically sarcastic with uh, the Corinthian church. And, and yes, the Bible uses humor. It uses sarcasm to make its point, and Paul does that exactly here. Those three rhetorical questions in verse 7 are matched with three exclamations in verse 8. Already you have all that you want. Already you have become rich. Without us, you have become kings. And then he, we know this is sarcasm because he says, and would that you did reign so that we might share the rule with you. 
His point is, okay, you're going to judge me? Well, let me look at you, compare you to the world. You guys are rulers and rich people, right? And the answer is, no, they're not. So if you want to judge me by the world standards, I'll judge you by the world standards, and it's not going to look quite so great. But he's not just sarcastic about them, he's also sarcastic about himself. Because he says, you want to compare me to the best speakers of the day, to the ones that are going to pull up to the facilities wearing the fanciest clothes with the greatest oratory skills? Go ahead. And how does he say he's going to compare to them? Exactly. Uh, Bill's quoting from verse 13 already. We have become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. That's a echo or a highlight after he says in verse 11, to the present hour we hunger and thirst, we are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless. They say, okay, go ahead and compare me. You're right. I don't have the fanciest clothes. I don't have some kind of cushy job. I work with my hands. I'm the scum of the earth. And again, does that seem to bother him? Not at all. In fact, because he's not comparing himself to the world's standards, what is the fundamental message that he said is at the heart of everything the church should be about? Jesus Christ and him crucified. It's about sacrifice and service. Not about elevating yourself, looking good, being all dressed wonderfully. So he says, yeah, go ahead, compare me to the worldly people, but I'm not going to compare. But I'm not trying to. I'm a steward, a servant of the cross. And he wanted to follow Christ in his example. So having been fairly sarcastic, again, we have a pretty... Big shift in tone in the final verses, in verses 14 through 21. And he goes back to a much more friendly tone. He says, I'm not writing this to make you ashamed, to shame you, to call you out. I am writing to this to you because I love you. And how does, what does Paul compare himself? What role does he say he plays in the life of the Corinthian church members? Like a father. Yeah. You've had a lot of guides. A lot of people that have spoken into your life. But the reality is you've only got one father. The person who birthed this church. Who first came to you and and brought this message of hope of Jesus Christ. And that was me. And so not only am I an apostle, but now I'm going to claim a little bit of authority a role in your life. And and as your father, there's a few things that I want to do. Uh, First of all, he says in verse 16, I urge you then to be imitators of me. Uh, Some of those words there at least hint to uh, the cultural practices of the day of passing down the family trade as an apprentice where you teach your children how to be a carpenter, or how to you know, be a farmer by showing them 
and working with them. And that's exactly how discipleship in the church works. We heard a wonderful example of it in, in prayer this evening of Gertie Vortman, where when you watch other people live out their faith and the way that they express it, it shows you, okay, this is what's possible. This is what Christian life looks like. And by watching and learning from their example, we say, okay, that's what I want to follow. And that's what Paul says. Don't pursue the goals of the world. Follow my example of service and humility. But there's another thing that the father... Uh, oh, by the way, I, I looked overlooked a note here, but I think it is important. Follow me, and, and I can't ever help but think of that promise that parents make to their children in the baptism. One of those fundamental problems that I will sh lead my child by example to be Christ's disciple. And that's the obligation of every parent to show their children what it means to be a disciple of Christ. As a father, though, he also has another role, not just example, but disciplinarian. He has the right to correct them when they've gone wrong. Um, and to not only show them how they ought to live, but when they wander, to, to point them in the correct direction. And, and that's near the end. Uh, as wonderful as it is, is to follow someone's example, to see how they live, the reality is the Corinthian church couldn't really do that with Paul because he wasn't there. He was an itinerant preacher who would go around, he would set up these churches and move on, establishing leadership. And he says, I sent Timothy, I'm, I'm sending Timothy to you to show you my ways and remind you of all of these things that I teach. But there was another criticism. He's like, Paul, you're never here. And he says, I, I'm going to come if the Lord calls me to. Again, I'm following his directions. But when I come, it's up to you. Do you want me to come with a rod of discipline or with love? And clearly, once again, his desire is to come at, as, as a loving father, but there are things that need to be corrected. And we're about to learn about them uh, pretty soon as we get into chapter 5, uh, which, by the way, I know it's a whole month away. When we return to this in January 7, I'll put a reminder in the bulletin, but we're going to get into some PG, PG-13 type themes right away. Um, and so you might want to be aware of that, uh, parents. Is, um, we're not going to use explicit language, but we're going to have to address the things that are talked about in the text. But for tonight, let's, let's go back to the heart of this. What do we do with this, especially for those of you, you know, is this just for Christian leaders? No. I think the call in this text is a call that we have for all in any role that we play. So easy on the world standards to just compare ourselves, especially with social media. Who do we not like to be compared to? You know, people put their lives and how wonderful of a parents they are out there all of the time without sharing the, the rough stuff, the hardships. Uh, we compare ourselves to the most excellent. So why, why can't I be as successful? But in no matter what the role is, I think I encourage you to have the attitude of Paul. I'm just here to do what God has called me to do to the best of my ability. And so I'm not going to compare myself to others. I'm just going to try to serve him in this role, answering only to God. And then as I do that, I recognize that 
My value doesn't come in my accomplishments. My value isn't found in my ability to prove myself or to succeed according to the world standard. My value is, as we've said in the Heidelberg Catechism, uh, that I belong to Christ. That I have been baptized into his family. So I don't have to prove myself to you. I've already been received by Christ. And that frees us to go and serve. That's what Paul's attitude was, and I encourage you to think through and and, and carry that attitude yourself into the roles and responsibilities that lie ahead of us in this coming week. Let's bow our heads. Father in heaven, in this world, you call us to all different tasks, responsibilities, roles, and positions. And we struggle in those sometimes to feel like we are, are worthy. We compare ourselves to others and we come up short or we gain pride in where we are successful. And Lord, instead of our lives being about us, I pray that we would focus on you and be your servants and be stewards of your gospel. Lord, I pray that students would serve well in the classroom, that they would dedicate themselves to their studies, that they would learn and that they would be in a, a gift to their teachers and their classmates. I pray for employees to serve not just their, their bosses, but to serve you in the work that they do, using the gifts and talents that they have to build your kingdom. Pray for retirees, for parents and grandparents, that in those roles we would lead by example And that those that come behind us would see in us those who are striving to serve you to the best of our ability. But in the end, Lord, we again thank you that we don't have to prove ourselves to you, that we don't have to earn our worth, but you in your grace and mercy have given us all things. Thank you for that incredible love. We pray this and praise you for this in the name of Christ. Amen.